again, good morning, Cross Point Community Church. I know you've been greeted a couple times this morning, but um, I want to say welcome. It's so good to have you here today. I know several of you in this room had very busy weeks, uh, lots of ups and downs this week. Again, as we come out to worship on every Sunday morning, boy, there's some heaviness on many of our hearts, uh, things we've gone through during the week, but we praise God that we can come together out of an overflow of individual worship, we come together to worship corporately. And one of the primary reasons we come together on Sunday mornings is to do exactly what we're going to do right now, and that is open God's Word and study it. So I hope your heart is prepared to study the Word of God. Uh, before we turn to the passage today, a couple quick notes. I know our brother Griff um, so giftedly shared with us about the uh, Christmas Eve service, I want to invite all of you to come. Um, this will be Friday night, 5 to 6 p.m. Uh, this will not be a long time, again, an hour. And it's going to be an hour of simple song and praise, scripture reading, and gospel meditation. Come hang out with people from the body of Christ here. Bring some friends. They will hear of hope to the nations found in Jesus Christ. So Friday evening, 5 to 6, I would encourage you to invite some friends. Come here. Towards the end of the service, we will, in fact, um, light candles and try not to burn this building down, but we will have some fun with some candlelight uh, on Friday evening. Then this, uh, Wednesday evening, we have a teen get-together, a teen activity, um, and we are looking for some volunteers. I won't go into details right now, but we still need about 10 to 15 volunteers. You will do nothing other than show up at the mall and be there for 40 minutes and then you can leave all right it is without going into detail it is a human scavenger hunt that we're doing there and we just need people so if you would like to do something like that if you would please um, contact me I'll be in the back or you can contact the office we need to know at the latest by Tuesday afternoon so please take your Bibles this morning and turn back to the book of Luke in chapter 2 The last two Advent seasons, Christmas seasons, we've enjoyed considering Christmas from different perspectives, and we're going to continue that today. Basically, we're putting ourselves in their stage of life, in their context of life, looking at the Christmas story as it's unfolded from different people's perspectives. Um, two years ago, you'll, if you remember this, we looked at the shepherds and the angels and the wise men. What was going on in their minds? And then last year we looked at the Christmas perspective from Joseph's and Mary's perspective. Well, this year we're hanging out with two godly older people in the temple 40 days after the birth of Jesus Christ. And they are very important in the Christmas story. So we're looking at the Christmas story unfolded from their perspective. Last week we were in the life of Simeon. A man who I, I could not, have not been able to get him off my mind all week long, holding that Christ child and praise to Almighty God, hope of the nations, the light of the Gentiles. Um, what a wonderful study. Uh, enjoyed, I enjoyed studying it last week. I don't know if that's been on your mind. But this week, we're going to go into the life of a dear, older lady, worshiper of God, named Anna. And so we will be in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. 
And let's just start this morning with a review of the setting by looking at these verses. Would you look with me at verses 22 through 24? What is happening in Anna's life? Well, verse 22 says this. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, speaking of Joseph and Mary, brought him, speaking of Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy, consecrated to the Lord. And then verse 24 and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And then we'll continue on the rest of the story in just a minute. So what's the setting here? We talked about this last week. We're back in the temple, if you remember this. Forty days prior to this event that we're going to study about today, Forty days prior to this, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, was born in a stable and laid in a manger. Not a lot's known about these 40 days. We know that in accordance with the law of Moses, Jesus was consecrated through circumcision on day 8. You can write, read that in verse 21 of this passage if you'd like. But at this point, we've got to remember this, at this point in God's plan of redemption, so here's what we call redemptive history. How God has worked since the creation of the world all the way through your Bibles. At this point in redemptive history, worshipers of God or worshipers of Yahweh would follow, they would show their faith by obeying something, and that was the ceremonial law of Moses. This is how they proved their faith, by obeying this ceremonial law. Well, as we talked of last week, the major hub for ceremonial worship was where? It was at the temple in Jerusalem. So sure, you would worship God in your communities, in your home, in your communities, um, in the synagogues, you would, but you would take these trips, these ceremonial trips, for many people, it was one of three or maybe all three times feasts to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. Well, this is a very important time in the life of Joseph and Mary. Why? Well, in accordance to Exodus chapter 13, in memory of the Exodus Passover, Jesus, as the firstborn son of Mary, was ceremonially consecrated to the Lord. This is beautiful. Again, like I said last week, when I get to heaven, I'm going to get a replay of all of this event. My mind is blown when I think about the details of this. Jesus, the irony of it, Jesus, God in the flesh, was taken to the place to worship God, and he was consecrated to God. There's so much beauty behind this story. But it wasn't just for the sake of the firstborn Jesus it was also for the sake of Mary. And this is where the 40 days comes into play. In accordance with Le Leviticus chapter 12 in the Old Testament, 40 days after the birth of Jesus, Mary brought two doves or pigeons to the temple for her ceremonial purification. Worth noting, as we talked of last week, two birds proved that Mary and Joseph were not wealthy worshipers. 
This is so good. I want to just insert this right now. As you walk through Luke chapter 1 and 2, you see overwhelming evidence of something, and that is this. God is doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. God is advancing His plan through the poor, through the weak, through the troubled, through the doubtful, through the uncertain. God is advancing His plan of salvation through these people. And we're going to see that unfolded through this passage. Particularly, I'd like to note the description of Anna. So let's, let's find out a little bit about this Anna. In verses 36 and 37, you find a really neat description. I'll just read through this. Verse 36, if you'd follow along, says this. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. Verse 37. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So this is awesome. Let's talk one phrase at a time about this wonderful servant of God, Anna. Scripture says, Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this. There was a prophetess, Anna. I'm going to start by saying this. Anna can also be said, Hannah, which I love because that's the name of my wife. So if I inadvertently or advertently say Hannah, you'll know what I mean. It means grace. Anna or Hannah in the scriptures is here as a prophetess. Now what about this prophetess thing? That's something we need to wrap our minds around. Well, we need to note that this is not a normal title or ministry in the scriptures. It's not normal. In fact, in Jewish tradition, there are only seven women who were called this in Old Testament history. Only seven of them. And of these seven, it was not necessarily tied to any revelatory ministry where they were receiving word from God and speaking truth from God directly. Very likely, I would say this, very likely what is happening in the lives of these prophetesses is that they are reading and studying God's revealed word and then they are going from person to person encouraging people with God's word. We will see that lived out in this story. Anna taking God's word and going and finding people and saying, can I comfort you with God's word? Can I comfort you with God's word? God's word is so cool. Can I tell you about God's word? That is this Anna. Anna, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. Phanuel or Penuel in the Hebrew means face to face with God. Or it could mean the face of God. Uh, this week, I was... I was really searching for something really cool about Fanuel. <laughs> Come on, there's got to be something out there. Guess what? Nothing. 
I love this because there's nothing significant about this dude at all. Which actually, brothers and sisters, led me to the significance of this story. Just that I just shared with you. There's a dude, Fanuel, who loved God, maybe sought the face of God. His name is in the holy text of scriptures. Why? Because God loves doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. That's this Fanuel. We're talking about God along with this dude, Fanuel, doing neat things in Luke 1 and 2 through a carpenter. Through a teenage girl. <laughs> through a bunch of lowly shepherds. That is the story of Luke 1 and 2. Something else is found about this Fanuel. He's of the tribe of Asher. Again, there seems to be nothing majorly significant about this northern tribe of Israel. Um, we actually find mention of it twice in significant ways in the Old Testament. One of them is Genesis chapter 49, verse 20. So this is as Jacob is passing off the scene, and he shares blessings about Asher, the tribe of Asher. And some of you whose stomachs are growling right now are going to find great significance in what is said about Asher, because here's why. I'll just read the verse. Jacob's dying blessing involved Asher's good food. Verse 20. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. So some of you right now are having contention when I said nothing major is found in Asher's life, in the tribe of Asher. No, because good food came out of Asher. Some of you will enjoy some of that good food in just a minute. Deuteronomy 33 is the other mention of Asher, the tribe of Asher in a significant way. Moses' dying blessing... His prayer involves simply prosperity and truth. But other than that, and other just the, including Asher in the tribes, my friends, there's nothing overly significant about the tribe of Asher or Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. This may be of interest to you, though. I, I was reading this week a fellow by the name of Easton, and uh, it's Encyclopedia Dictionary, and I was, I, I don't often go there, but I was just reading some of this about the tribe of Asher, and I love this, because there, he noted this, there were two tribes west of Jordan, so you have to go back in your history of Israel, the split tribe, so there were two tribes west of Jordan, which furnished no hero or judge for the nation of Israel, no heroes no judges came out of two tribes. Can you guess which ones they were? Asher and Simeon. Ironically enough, by God's grace, both of them show up in Luke chapter 2 as being the first ones to recognize in the temple the Messiah. There may be some first century temple significance that I'm completely unaware of, but I tried to dig in pretty deep this week. Honestly, as I was going through that, as I just exposed, my heart was overwhelmed. Why? Because God, again, loves doing significant things through insignificant people. He loves doing it. God loves doing the extraordinary out of the ordinary. God loves using the no-names in his redemptive plan. 
My friends, I, as I was reading through that this week, it was almost like this comfort came across my heart. And it was like, Andrew, praise God. He can use a troubled, problem person like you, Andrew, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe in your life you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel troubled. Maybe you think, well, my life doesn't match up to any of those people in the scripture. My life doesn't match up to anyone, really. I'm a nobody. My brother and sister in Christ, my friend here today, God loves using nobody, no names, to advance his redemptive story. And we're going to see that come alive with Anna in this passage. She was advanced in years. What a delicate way for Dr. Luke to explain this. <laughs> She's old. <laughs> Um, okay, to keep this politi politically correct, she was older. She was a seasoned and well-experienced adult. <laughs> Having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, there are some different ideas of what this might mean. I think the basics of this was this. She was married seven years before her husband died. And then as a widow until she was 84 years old. So she would have most likely been married as a later teen. In line with the context here, what would happen historically, she would have been married as a later teen, and then she would have been widowed in her early 20s. This is worth noting. Why? How old is this lady? 84. When was she widowed? In her 20s. My friends, we're talking about 60 years of worship from a woman who had been hurt deeply. She did not depart from the temple. She wanted to live out her life in dedication and service to Yahweh. She was looking for the Messiah. She may have lived, possibly, we don't know, but she may have lived in one of the, one of the um, shelters there in, in the temple, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, just reading a, several things on that this week. Probably more likely she lived off, off the temple mound into some close place, but she would every single day, all day, into the evening, come and worship God. This was a big deal. She did not want to waste her life. She wanted to worship God every moment of every day. She wanted to be as close as she possibly could to the presence of God. I love this. How did she worship? She worshiped with fasting and prayer night and day. She loved God dearly and faithfully. She worshiped Yahweh continually. By the way, if I could just insert this again. I love how God breaks the pattern of fallen man through his redemptive story. What do I mean? At this point in human history, females were not particularly respected. This is just the facts of it. This was a highly chauvinist time in human history for Romans and for Jews. The fact is, God does not prefer men over women, period. 
Go through the scriptures and you will find that God Almighty loves His people, men and women. Now, as a qualifier, sure, God has a beautiful plan of particular function in the home or in the church or the temple, as we see here. Women could praise God, but they could not be the priests. That's clear in the function here. But in no way, as you look at God's redemptive story, does he prefer these males over females? And as seen in this story, God sovereignly chose to use women to advance his redemptive plan. My sisters here in Jesus Christ, take heart. God can and will use you in his redemptive story. Um, to that note, this week, I found myself praising God for the faithful older and younger servants of Jesus here at Cross Point Community Church. Praise God for all the ways you serve faithfully. My pastoral encouragement to you is if God has not called you home yet, God's not finished with you yet, you, my dear Christian sister, have a special place in God's redemptive plan. Keep up the good work. Keep serving Jesus, your master, everywhere and anywhere, with everyone and anyone. Tell the good news of Jesus Christ. Live the good news of Jesus Christ. Show it and shine it anywhere you go, my dear Christian sisters. I want us to go now to this response. And what we're doing is just going through the text. We'll kind of synthesize it through a key truth and make a couple points. So what points and we'll be done. The response of Anna. I absolutely love this response. Verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's just, let's just analyze this one phrase at a time. Here it is. And coming up at that very hour. So when is this? Well, it was the very hour when Simeon was holding Jesus, blessing God, blessing Mary and Joseph, prophesying about Jesus and Mary. It was at this very hour when Simeon had our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his hands. And he was praising who? The consolation of Israel and God's light for the revelation to the Gentiles. Here's a simple point. Here's a simple takeaway from at that very hour. My friends, who coordinated all of that? Not Anna, not Simeon. It was God. It was a God who is sovereign in all of the affairs of man. God's timing in his plan is always so very perfect. It is flawless. It is impeccable. God's timing is precisely done. Just like in your life and my life. So please take note. God knows what we need exactly when we need it. Next phrase says, she began to give thanks to God. Oh, what a wonderful first response. When she sees the Christ child, 
When she hears of the consolation of Israel, the light to shine to the Gentiles, what was her first response? She began to give thanks to God. But this is not just an inner worship. Because you think about that, maybe she fell down on her, on her knees and just started oh, praying, to, praying to God just in a quiet way. No, this word for thanks is not like a quiet inner thanks. It is an, it is an outward verbal worship. This is what she did. When she saw Jesus, she couldn't contain herself. She couldn't go to her knees and be like, yeah, I'm just going to thank God right now for bringing Jesus now. She could not contain worship. What a wonderful response to interacting with the Lord Jesus Christ. She began to give thanks just like she had done for many decades, but now what was the difference? She had seen Jesus. By the way, my, again, my imagination. Sorry, I got to throw the imagination in there sometime. How did Simeon get away with holding a baby but not Anna? <laughs> you think about that? How's Simeon holding this child? And Anna, I can imagine Anna's like, weaseling up against Simeon, and if they were both like regular worshipers there, they knew each other, all right, they probably had a lot of meals together, and she's looking at him and be like, my turn, just give me a chance, I mean, that's not in the scriptures, maybe when we get to heaven, we'll find out more to that story, maybe we'll find out more to uh, the fact that I do believe that this scenario included quite, especially if it was from an elder, uh, older season worshiper of God, that you cannot get out of this scenario without at least some cheek pinching. <laughs> I would imagine there was a decent amount of that with... Anyways. <laughs> then this phrase, and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Anna could not contain herself. This news was so good that she had to tell everyone around. Simeon had proclaimed the blessing. Now Anna was going from one person to another saying, did you hear that? Did you hear that? No. Did you hear that? Hey, over in that corner. Did you hear that? This is the ministry of Anna. She had to tell everyone of the redemption of Jerusalem. Another way of expressing this redemption of Jerusalem is another way of expressing or almost repeating what Simeon had just said, this is the consolation of Israel. This is taken from Isaiah. This comfort of God's people is found in the Messiah. And so if you see this story unfold, you're finding an Anna now who's going from one person to another saying, hey, the Messiah's here. Hey, did you know the Messiah's here? Hey, did you hear? Messiah's here. That is this Anna. So for the remainder of our time this morning, as we just wrap this up, I want to synthesize this story with this simple key truth that we can take our way. The last 10, 15 minutes here, let's think on this key truth. This story unfolds so beautifully, but how can we synthesize this? I think we would have to synthesize this with this key truth to wrap our minds around the story. Here it is. As seen through the ministry of Anna, Christ's verse should entice a joyful response from every single worshiper. 
Christ's birth requires, it entices, it compels a response. Christ's birth is not to be just acknowledged as a fact. Please take this to note. Christ's birth is not just to be taken as a historic fact. It is not just to be noted or noticed or observed once a year. It is expected to elicit a response from every worshiper of God. Christ's birth is expected to elicit a response or entice a response from you, my friend. What response? Well, I think you see this very clearly in this story. That through Christ, God's people have an amazing reason to worship God. What was the first response of Anna? Well, we just read it in verse 38. And coming up at, at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. Christ's birth is a reason to truly worship Almighty God. If you interact with the birth of Jesus Christ and, not, and are not compelled to worship Almighty God, then we truly do not understand the significance of the birth of Christ. The word thanks is, again, not some inward meditation of gratitude. It is an outward, verbal, public expression of gratefulness. Why worship? Why this outward expression of gratitude? That's, that's a question I was working through this week. <clears throat> we often take the why question for granted when we interact with texts. Okay, why do what Anna did? Well, I think simply enough, because through Christ, God has proven himself to be trustworthy. Have you thought about that? Through Christ, God Almighty, the creator and sustainer of all lives, has proven himself to be trustworthy. You can trust exactly what he says. He is faithful. He always does what he says he would do. But also, through Christ, God has proven himself to be, as we just prayed a couple minutes ago, omniscient. What do I mean? He knows exactly what we need and when we need it. Through Christ, God has proven himself to be gracious and kind and merciful. He has proven himself trustworthy because he has provided for us the perfect substitute lamb, Jesus Christ. You know how during your week God will lead you to different places in the scriptures. And um, the beauty of the Holy Spirit using the word of God. This week, I was overwhelmed with Psalm 107. I would encourage you to read that this week. Why? Verse 2 of Psalm 107 says this, and I don't know, maybe this was on Anna's mind, something to this effect. Here's what it says. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. This is so good. Verse 1, actually, before verse 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Verse 3, and he gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate place or way. They found no city to dwell in. 
hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. They, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses, and he led them forth by the right way that they might go to the city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. All right, clearly this is talking about Israel in the wilderness. But I'm going to tell you, when I was reading that this week, I thought, Andrew, that is you. Wandering in darkness and broken. And God Almighty, in his grace and kindness, because of his steadfast love, said, you're mine. You're mine, Andrew. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Over and over again in Psalm 107, your homework this week is at least read through this once. Over and over again, verse 1, oh, that men would praise the Lord. Or, or oh, the, oh, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. But then verse 8, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 15, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 21, oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 31, guess what? Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Over and over and over again, the plea is, would you give thanks to God for redeeming your soul? Just like Anna did in this passage. My friends, ultimately, <clears throat> all of this grateful worship that we find in Psalm 107, all the way through the scriptures, is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Christ that Anna had seen with her very own eyes. Through Christ, God's people have an amazing reason to worship. I want us to close out with this point. Through Christ, God's people have an amazing reason to share salvation's story. What do I mean? Would you look again, verse 38? And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him for all... This is great. To speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. My friends, she couldn't contain herself. She not only praised God, but she had to find others to share the good news with. This is the story of the Bible. Friends, sure we have the great commandment. What's that? Love. Sure we have the great commission. What's that? Make disciples. Sure, we have the great calls, if you want to put it that way. What's that? God's sovereign grace that's in the Bible. But very practically, when someone truly grasps the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, they cannot help but share it with as many people as they possibly can find. That is the enticement of the scriptures. When you see Jesus, you want to speak of this wonderful Jesus. You want to find everyone you can to say, I want to tell you about the greatest gift ever. I have been led to the treasure, my friend, and now God wants me to lead you to this same treasure. That is the heartbeat of the scripture. The biblical response to gospel grace is to tell others about the grace of the gospel. Catch that. A biblical response to gospel grace is to tell others about the grace of the gospel. Pastor Andrew, you don't know me. I don't talk. Maybe you're saying that right now. 
You don't know me. I, I don't know what to say. My friends, tell them the simple story of the Bible. God made you, sin corrupted you, Christ can rescue you, so believe. My friend, if you're wondering what to say, say this, Jesus Christ, by his grace, saved my soul. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So, should you evangelizing, uh, evangelize? Well, if your heart has truly been changed by God, you will have a hard time containing the story. It's not a matter of if, it's just how often and when. <laughs> because it's going to happen. If I've truly interacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can't help but share it with other people. Practically, and this is a very practical discussion here. I know through um, our recent studies here in Romans, I know through our Wednesday night studies, there's been a lot of discussion about divine election and human responsibility. We'll get into more of that. Just hold on. When we get to Romans chapter 9 through 11, just wait. It's wonderful. However, no matter where you personally fall in your opinion of the degrees and descriptions of divine election, I want to be impeccably clear Please don't tell me you're a worshiper of God if you are not willing to share His gospel with anyone and everyone. That is what the Bible tells us. As we see in the life of story, Anna, worship and evangelism go together. They go hand in hand. Loving evangelism is an expression of true worship. Let me say that one more time. Loving evangelism is an expression of true worship. If our lives have truly been changed by the love of Jesus, then we can't help but share the love of Jesus with anyone and everyone, just like Anna. So what? Let's wrap this up today. So what? This Christmas season, this week, a lot of fun traditions in our families, I'm sure. A lot of food, along with Asher. <laughs> a lot of fellowship, a lot of songs, a lot of gifts, a lot of lights, a lot of laughter, maybe some crying. All of that going on this week. But my friend, along with Anna, will you truly worship God this week for sending Christ? should not be uncommon for you to have tears running down your face with the realization that a holy God sent his holy son to a broken world to save you. Do not get caught up in the consumerism, market-driven society we live in, all the politics. This week, take time to remind yourself by God's grace that Jesus Christ came to save a sinner like you. And then as this happened, let the floodgates of worship open, my friends. Do not contain yourself. Fall to your knees in humble worship of this amazing God. Then, as an ordinary person praising an extraordinary God, rise to your feet and sing praises to his holy name. This Christmas season, one more question. Will you boldly speak of God's salvation? You, not the person next to you, 
Not the crazy guy up there talking real loud and waving his hands all over the place. But you, who will you share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ with this week? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so at work, at school, at home, in your neighborhood, through texts, through posts, on the phone. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, do not contain yourself this week. He shall reign forevermore. Jesus Christ is born. So my friend, go tell it on the mountain. He's born. God, so we take this testimony of Anna, this godly, elderly woman in the scripture who couldn't contain her worship. She worshipped you personally and she passed on your salvation to all that were looking for the consolation of Israel. And in simple application today, Father, I pray that we would do the same. Every single one of us. God, I pray that we would worship you this week. There's so many distractions away from this true worship, God. Even some good things that come into our lives. But I pray today, Father, that through this week, every single one of us here would be overwhelmed with your gift of grace through Jesus Christ. My friends here today, as you're sitting there in this couple brief moments of quiet, I don't want to take for granted that every single person here today has come to God through Christ in saving faith. There might be some young ones here that have heard the stories, you've learned the verses, you've interacted with the truths, but you have never come to Jesus Christ in repentant faith. You've never turned from your sin to trust in God. And I would encourage you, my friend, there's no mistake that you're here today. Would you turn from your sin and trust in God today? This very day. You may have more questions about that. I will be available here for some time after the service. There'll be chaplains at the front who would love to talk to you more about this. Our elder team will be hanging around here for some time after the service. Please don't go home without interacting with these questions seeking God's face about your eternal destiny. Now, my friends, those of us who have come to Jesus Christ in saving faith, if you have turned from your sin to trust in Jesus Christ, the consolation of Israel, the one who can bring comfort and eternal life, you have. I would encourage you, my friend, this week, worship God. Every day of this week, open the scriptures, fall to your knees if you can. I'm not sure Anna could. But if you can, go to your knees and praise God for sending Jesus Christ. And then, my friends here today, go tell it on the mountain. 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Don't contain the truth of the Scriptures. Not in a manipulative, irritating way, but in a genuine, honest way that says, can I show you the greatest gift ever, Jesus Christ? Would you pray this every day this week that God would give you someone to share salvation story with? I'm going to tell you something, give you a hint. That's a hard one for God not to answer. <laughs> it's a hard request for him to say, no, I'm not going to answer that one. He will answer it with his great commission, so go. With his great commandment, so love and go. God, we thank you for your grace today. Thank you for this wonderful example of this woman in Scripture who gave her life to worshiping you. Everywhere she went, worshiping you. When she saw the Christ, she could not contain herself from sharing. And I pray, God, that that would be every single one of us in this room this week and beyond we would share Christ's love with anyone and everyone. Thank you for the time we could interact with your word today. Thank you for those who are here visiting today. Oh, we're so thankful that they're here. And I pray that you would give us grace to walk in newness of life this week. As we celebrate with family, friends, individually, corporately as a church on Friday, let us think of you and worship you all week long. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for your attentiveness th uh, today. As we interact with the scripture, I would encourage you to follow up with these things. That's one reason why we give you a handout. Take these home, read it, study it, talk of them in your life groups. Think through these things this week. If you are in fact visiting with us today, well, we'll just leave that there for now, I guess. Thanks. If you are visiting with us, thank you for joining us. You're invited back anytime. I'd love to meet you. I'll be in the back. I'd love to meet you and just let you know how much, how thankful we are that you came uh, to worship with us this morning. Would you stand?